I don't know how long it's been since maybe you have taken the time to read through the book of Isaiah. It's chocked full of truth, of uh, just uh, just blessing. And you can you read Isaiah and you read the prophet and you say, wow, so much here. And it certainly is. And we have several chapters that we would look to. And, and uh, we find the, the birth of a child, Christmas. We find the crucifixion, Isaiah 53, and so much in this book. You know, just a blessed book to spend some time in. And maybe the Lord let us uh, work our way through it. Uh, if we ever get through the books that we currently are studying. But Isaiah is a tremendous book. Tonight we'll look at uh, the first 18 verses of Isaiah. Just making a few comments as we go. Look at verse number 18. We'll just read it up front. And that's where we'll end up tonight. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What a tremendous passage of Scripture that is. Isaiah was a prophet. A prophet in the Old Testament was a, the voice of God before the people. Certainly they would not have had the Scriptures as we have them today. And God spoke through spirit-filled men, through His prophets. And by the way, a prophet is a prophet when he is correct 100% of the time. If he's off one time, he's not a prophet. He's correct 100% of the time. God's prophets correct 100% of the time. And when they talk about the prophets in the Old Testament, many times they would talk about the days to come. And it was like looking across the mountains and you could see the mountain tops not always the valleys between the mountains and they would prophesy and they would talk about those mountain peaks and one of those mountain peaks is the second coming of Jesus Christ and so as surely as the prophets prophesied and all those things that came to fruition in their day that too will come to pass and I believe it's apt to happen in our day just as the Old timers preach Jesus is coming back. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul preached the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he's coming again. And that is an assurity that we can, we can just uh, mark it down. Jesus is coming. Why? Because he said so. Because his prophet said so. And so a prophet is a, is a prophet, a right kind of prophet, a biblical prophet, when he's correct 100% of the time. And every one of God's prophets Correct, 100% of the time. Uh, Isaiah reigned. He, he was a prophecy. He prophesied rather in the reign of four different kings. Um, he prophesied the coming uh, Babylonian captivity. He, his time of, as a prophet was predominantly and primarily to the southern kingdom of Judah. It was a divided kingdom. Um, you might call Isaiah the the John the Baptist of the New Testament in the Old Testament. I know as we talked this morning of Jewish evangelism. And one of the things, the best places to go to, is to take them through the book of Isaiah. And help them to see that, that the Christ is the one that died on the cross for their sins. We look at Isaiah chapter 1 and it's really a courtroom scene. Um, Isaiah is... God's man, he's God's prophet, and it's though the nation of Israel, Judah, the southern kingdom, is they're in a courtroom with God. Um, 
and in this courtroom, really, and we look at the verses, God's the prosecuting attorney. God is also the juror, and he's also the judge, but he's also the pardon, and that's what we look at, and we come to verse number 18, and Israel's standing for God, and, and God in this particular case is laying out uh, uh, a, he's laying out the charges, the indictments, if you will, against the nation of Israel, and so I just want to work through verses 1 through 15, and as we do that, just make a few comments until we get to where we want to go with verses 16 and following. He says in verse number 1, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. They are the kings that reigned during Isaiah's time. And here it is. Here's where we begin. Hear, O Israel, and give ear. O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. Well, that's just powerful in that word, in that, in that phrase. The Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. He starts out right at the very beginning, dealing with the nation of Israel. And the first thing he says with regards to them is, they've rebelled. The nation of Israel has rebelled. This is the authority of God. God has spoken. And the nation of Israel has rebelled. I think maybe nothing is more devastating, more heartbreaking to a mommy and a daddy when the children goes astray from God. And you multiply that by God's creation. And he says, the nation of Israel have rebelled. In verse number 2, the ox knoweth his owner the ass is master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Uh, they only, not only have re- rebelled, but they are unthankful. They've forgotten where they came from and who their creator was. They're unthankful. Verse number three. The ox knoweth its owner, and the ass is master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people do not consider. Verse number four, excuse me. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. That are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They have gone away backward. Here he says out of verse number 4. They are full of wickedness. Evildoers. Children that are corruptors. Forsaken the Lord. Provoked the Holy One of Israel. They have gone away backward. In other words, they're backslidden. They're backslidden on God. Verse number 5. Why should you be stricken any more? You will revoke more and more. Uh, the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. There's spiritual amnesia going on here with them. They have forgotten that God's bringing all these judgments in their lives. And they don't recognize, they can't see it. That all the things that's coming into their lives is because God's trying to get their attention. But yet they have this spiritual amnesia. The whole head is sick. This thing is affected from top to bottom. Verse number 6. The sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and purifying sores. They have not been clothed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Uh, Their sins are like an open wound. Sins are likened unto leprosy. Uh, He says it's putrefying. In other words... It's nauseating. And this is God speaking to the nation of Israel. Your sins, it's nauseating to me, he says. Verse number seven, your country is desolate. 
Your cities are burned with fire. Your land strangers devour in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Their land lies waste. Their land is wasted because of invasion. And God's blessings have been drawn back from them. Verse number 8. The daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard. As a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. As a besieged city. Jerusalem. This daughter of Zion, it's a picture of, or it's an allusion to, and pointing to the city of Jerusalem. They say, this city of Jerusalem, and God's saying here, you were once a glorious city. A glorious and beautiful city, full of riches and full of glory, now ravaged by war, besieged city. Verse number 7, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should, be, should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Now he even goes a step further, and he says, your sins are like Sodom and Gomorrah, and up before the God's mercy, and but for God's grace, you would have been destroyed just like they would have been. They were rather fire and brimstone. It's only before the mercy and the goodness of God that it remains. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Again, he's not speaking directly to Sodom, but he's calling the nation of Israel. That they're living as like Sodom and Gomorrah. Give ear unto the law of your God, ye people of Gomorrah. And here he speaks now directly to the rulers of the nation. Our rulers are going to stand before God one day and give an account. As to how they ruled the nations. He speaks directly to the rulers. Verse 11 he says. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me saith the Lord. I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks and lambs nor of he goats. God says to them here. I am sickened by your dead religion. Sickened by your dead religion. Verse number 12, when you come to appeal before me, who hath required this at your hands to tread my courts. When you come to the temple, God says to them, when you come to the temple to worship, rather than worship, you desecrate instead of worshiping. Verse number 13, bring no more vain oblations in incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. God says to them, I cannot bear your hypocrisy as you come to worship. All your keeping of the Sabbaths and your keeping of the feast days and all of these things. But every time you come in, he says, it's a wearisome thing to me. I cannot away with it. I can no longer bear it, God says to them. Verse number 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And God's saying here to this nation of Israel, to these stiff-necked, hard-hearted people, you trouble me, you worry me, you weary me thin against righteousness and in anger. He says in verse number 15, and we... and. When ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. 
He says to them, even when you pray, even when you cry out and pray, that again sickens me and I'll not hear your prayer. I'll not hear what you have to say. He says to the nation of Israel, notice your wickedness. He lays out a case against them of their wickedness. He says, I'm sick of your ways. I'm sick of your works. Your will is stubborn. Your religion wearies me. My glorious city is a, now a wasteland. Wickedness abounds. And this, God says, I'm sick and tired of the whole mess. You remember a message by Brother Swanky? Sick and tired of being sick and tired. I believe God here is just literally laying out a case. And he says, I'm just sick and tired of this whole thing with you guys. Sick and tired of it all. And he likens them again to Sodom and Gomorrah. Verses 1 through 15 is a commentary on the nation of Israel from God. But you know, it could also be said that this is a commentary upon the nation of America. Uh, this same commentary that we see against the nation of Israel is a commentary that we could liken uh, in, to America today. You, you pick up uh, the newspaper and you can see these things. You can see these very things happening before us in our very day. God spends 15 verses laying out a case against the people of the nation. And God says, you have been rebellious in every way. But then he comes to verse number 18. He's, we'll go back and we'll read 15, 16, or 16, 17, and 18. We'll read that. But I want you to know what he says after laying out this case against them. He says, think about this. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Here we see in the midst of anarchy against God, total rebellion against God, wickedness, dead religion, and all of these things, God says, I want to reason with you about this. Here we see the reasonableness of God. To me, this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing. God is reasonable. Now, I want you to understand this evening that in all the things that we see going on, God is reasonable. And somebody might say, well, what God's calling me to do is unreasonable. God is reasonable. He says, let me reason with you. I want to reason with you. I want to work with you. I want to redeem you. Look what he says in verse number 16. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and plead for the widow. Now, in this reasonableness of God, and God seeking to reason with a rebellious group of people... We understand that God is sovereign. God doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to do this. He could have just wiped them all off the face of the earth with just a word. He is sovereign in his reasonableness. He's sovereign. He didn't have to reason with us. Somebody may say, well, uh, if God would just show me and if God would just open up to me, God didn't have to do that. Why? Because he's God. He's God. He's sovereign. 
it is the fact that God gives us everything that we have, and we have no rights other than what which God's given us. God gives us everything. He tells us that the Lord has spoken, and, and that's an amazing thing because it's God in His authority, and God where He sits in the throne room of heaven. It's God in His as creation that created us. It's the Lord hath spoken. Verse number 10, hear ye the word of the Lord. And now God, this God, he comes to us in, in all the sin. He comes to the nation of Israel in all the sin of their time and the sin of their nation. He says, I just want to reason with you about it. Let's just talk it through. But I want you to understand, he says to these people. Romans 9 and 20. Oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the sovereignty of God, but yet he comes to mankind, he says, let me reason with you. And God is not only sovereign in his reasoning, but he's simple in his reasoning. He's simple in his reasoning. We read the verses, verses 16 and 17. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil from your doings before my eyes cease to do evil. This is simplicity. God's not giving us a, a, a series of, of things that need to be done. And if we'll do all of this and we'll fix this and we'll then go do this and then go do this and then go do this. And then come back to me and see how it all works out. God says, just get right. The simplicity of his reasonableness. Get right, do right, live right. You know, it's amazing that sometimes we think that, and I've been a, I've faulted in this area sometimes to say, you know, that's good preaching, but hard living. But with God, it shouldn't be hard living, should it? Because it's simplistic living. You see, it's only hard living when we want to continue to be rebellious. We want to continue to say no to God. We want to continue to have it our way. Then it becomes hard living. Not because God made it hard, because we've made it hard. We come to Acts, I mean, to the book of King, Second Kings. I, I, recently, I don't know who was preaching this, but it prompted my attention to it. Something that's hard. We say, well, living for God is really hard, isn't it? Well, really, is it? Remember Naaman. Naaman, the leper, he came, he had that leprosy, came to Elisha. Listen to the story. So Naaman came with his horses, with his chariots, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. What did he ask him to do? Go wash in the Jordan River. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his Lord, his God, and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Maybe something really big and something fancy. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. 
And he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a child, and he was clean. God's reasonableness is simplicity. He just says, trust me. Believe me. Wait upon me. Wait upon me. God's reasonable is sovereign in that he didn't have to do it. He's God. It's simplistic. He says, simply look to me. And then notice another one. God's reasonableness is, because it fits, I use the word superb. It's amazing. It's amazing. He says, I'll wash you. I'll make you clean. Verse number 18. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God's reasonableness forgives us of our sins. It's a bourbon that forgives not just a few of our sins, but all of our sins. And the fact that he would even do such a thing. The fact that he reasons and he would sit down and... And try to talk to us so that we might understand. So that he's given us his word so that we might know what God has to say. Because he wants to reason with us. Just an amazing thought to me. A sinful man, he would do such a thing. He, he, but he demands us that we come to his terms. He does not reason with us and say, look, I'm going to make a deal with you. He reasons with us from a perspective of God is demanding. He demands things from us. God's reasonable when he demands our salvation. Understand that. God's reasonable when he demands that we be saved. Isaiah 45, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. It's not unreasonable to trust God as our personal Lord and Savior. Think about it. It is unreasonable for us not to. For us to spurn God. For us to say no to God. For us to continue to be rebellious. But God did everything for us. It just makes sense. There's no sense in saying no to God. It's reasonable when he demands our salvation. It's only reasonable to accept him and his sacrifice for our sins. God is reasonable when he demands our salvation. He says you must be born again. Because God did it all. God is reasonable when he demands our surrender to him. Our surrender. First Corinthians. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You see, we belong to God, and it's reasonable for God to say to us, You are not your own, you're bought with a price, now therefore live for me in the body that I've given you, and that I've redeemed for you. It's reasonable. It's reasonable for God to demand service from us, demand that we serve Him. We all know the text very well in Romans chapter number 12. Look at it with me. Romans 12. We all know it very well. We probably don't even need to turn there. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God is reasonable when he demands that you must be born again. He's reasonable when he demands our surrender to him. He's reasonable when he demands our service for him. God is a reasonable God. And he wants to reason with wicked mankind. Aren't you glad that God chose to reason rather than send wrath? And that's really what God's doing around the world. He's given us a gospel message. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is that all about? Reasoning with lost men, women, boys, and girls that they need to be saved. God says, I'm sick and tired of it. I'm, I'm up to here with it. Then he reasons with us through Calvary. But he says in last, one last verse, and I want you to see this before we're done. Go back to Isaiah chapter 1. We see the, the other side. God wants to reason. Look at verse 20. Verse 19, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. God simply reasons. This is the way it's going to be. This is the way it is. He's not hiding anything from us. He's out clearly and plainly with it. He says, come to me. Let's reason together. Shouldn't we allow the scriptures to reason into our hearts? Reason into our minds? So that we not get to verse number 20. As a people, as an individual, as a nation. And that's what God was doing. Well, we know the outcome of Isaiah. The people wouldn't listen. They ended up going into a Babylonian captivity. And nearly lost it all. But even in that, we find the grace of God. God's grace is greater than all of our sins. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.